Chinese women became kind of like the scapegoats mm -hmm. of society. You know, we were vectors of disease, uh, spreading syphilis and what have you. You know, we were immoral. We were like tearing apart the fabric of society. Um, you know, we couldn't uphold good Christian values and this idea of like true womanhood, which is yeah. like based on like Christian piety and all this stuff. So. Um, as a result of these attitudes, uh, there was a congressperson in uh, called Ho like Horace Page or something from California that proposed the Page Act, which prevented all women of East Asian origin from being transported into the United States for purposes, for lewd and immoral purposes, mm -hmm. quote unquote, such as prostitution. And so by doing this, basically they conflated like all East Asian women, Chinese women in particular, as prostitutes and sex workers Right. And then they also were like, oh, but you're being transported into the country. So we're like actually protecting you in this paternal, paternalistic way. So they're like uh, patriarchs that are protecting yeah. you from sex trade. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, you're just coming for work. Yeah. It's <laughs> like you're just erasing the whole swath of yeah. people just trying to like, you know, eat. Um, and then they were just like, yeah, let's just use sex workers as like yeah. a way to cast this like um, to pass this discriminatory policy because no one's going to stand up for sex workers. No yeah. one's going to stand up for a prostitute or a whore. And then once that was in place in 1882, like seven years later, they passed the Chinese Exclusion Act that basically prevented all Chinese from entering the state up until like 1943 wow. when they needed to cozy up to China for World War II purposes. Welcome to What's My Thesis. I'm your host, Javier Proenza, and today my guest is Kim Yi. And we're doing a crossover episode with, uh, what's, what is it? Boundary Issues? Boundary Issues, Boundary yes. Issues on Kei Chung. Yeah, I don't really have an intro. You don't? I guess Boundary Issues is just a radio show where um, we don't have any boundaries. And so we just kind of chat as if nobody is listening. Okay, um, but I mean, that could go many ways. <laughs> if it was like a bunch of dudes, it would have a different connotation, right? Like, what Oh, you, what? like they'd be groping, date raping each other? or like? I what? mean, I'd... Well, I'd like to give them a little bit more credit. <laughs> uh, I know. I'm just like, what kind of topics do you guys usually cover? Oh, like, yeah. It's like any. Well, so I started this with Veronique Dontremont, who's another artist. Okay. We went to UCLA together and we met in the sculpture department. So we became like sculpture siblings um, and we trauma bonded in grad school. And then after grad school, we were Is like. Is there any other kind of friendship in grad school? I don't think so. <laughs> but if there is, you didn't really get the whole grad school experience. Yeah, I haven't been to grad school. I've just interviewed a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah, everyone's kind of twitchy. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, after we graduated, we are like, we can't, we're having a hard time finding time to hang out and spend time together. So we're like, well. Let's regiment it. Yeah, so what are workaholics to do? Let's take on a radio show. Yeah. So thus is the beginning of Boundary Issues. And it was a way for us to like, check in on a more structured basis and we would talk about things i think our early episodes were like you know mortality uh spirituality we talked about dating death transformation um so not mma not like that's what that's what i was like it would be more joe rogan if boundary oh, issues oh i see and it'd be a little bit more alpha and a little bit more like uh raunchy i think yeah i mean i think we get raunchy in our own way is but... there is there like um do you guys have to worry about the FCC? Are you allowed to curse? 
on the air? I think we can do whatever we want on the air. <laughs> How does that work? I don't know. I have no idea. Well, we're on Kaichung right now for people that ha- are not listening to the live broadcast of Kaichung. We're in the we're right outside the Geffen, which I wanted to put a camera out there to like shoot the building and I was like, "No." <laughs> oh, <laughs> so yeah. Someone just runs away with it. I don't I'm not that trusting. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting broadcasting from here because you always hear like sirens and helicopters and just uh-huh. like the ruckus of the neighborhood. Yeah. So I thought it was really funny just to have this like open air. Basically, we're in a shipping container with some windows cut out. And it's just such a funny place to like be doing recording yeah, and radio, yeah. especially if you're talking. I think most people here probably DJ and play music. But um, yeah, whenever I'm doing my show, which is just, you know, people blabbing away. Um, yeah, we always get a lot of ambient noise and people coming up and asking questions. How do you get into the museum? What's going? What are you? Yeah, so you know? we're not just doing a podcast and a radio broadcast. We're also here as an information desk, it seems like. Exactly. Yeah, it's really fun to misdirect people. Well, do you mind if I uh, take a, a, a bit of a lead and interview you a little bit? You said you had some questions, so we can hand it off to each other. Yeah, I definitely yeah. I don't I don't want to come into your house and be the host. But uh, but so like maybe I can ask you some questions that uh, your audience might not have because like uh, any awareness. So you told me before you came here when you were around five. Oh, to the United States. The United oh, States. we're going way back. Yeah. Oh, we, right. we're, we're going to do your art uh, origin story. Like how th- this is this is where we're starting. So you, okay, you came. Okay. When did you start to you came over to the U.S. from where? From China. Where in China? I was born in Beijing, China. Okay. And my parents came over first. Actually, they immigrated to the U.S. when I was about one and two. So I stayed back with my grandma, oh. which is, I think, fairly common for at least like Chinese immigrant stories, you know, where like the parents come in and get established first. Yeah. Um, and then I came over when I was five with my grandma and we were landed in Pittsburgh. Um Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, my parents were in like engineering grad school there. Oh, okay. Um, and then, yeah, moved with my mom to Illinois, and so that's where I mostly grew up. Midwest. Illinois, Mid- yeah. Midwestern. Okay. Yeah. And then, uh, when did you start like realizing that art wasn't going to be a problem and disrupt the rest of your life? <laughs> and get in the way of your happiness oh. if you weren't making it. Yeah, when did my addiction start? <laughs> I see. When did you realize yeah. you had a problem? <laughs> we, we're not uh, precious about art here. <laughs> you know, it's funny because somebody once, like my husband is not an artist, and uh-huh. so his friends are all like kind of business people, and they were trying to understand what I do like in the beginning when I went out, you know, and got we had dinner or whatever and they're like oh like so do you like make money off your art like how does sales work and i was like "Uh, (laughs) you know it's complicated and it kind of i basically was like yeah i don't really you know i can't survive off my artwork and they're like oh so you're like it's like your hobby (laughs) and i was like fuck yeah (laughs) and then but it kept like circulating in my head and i was like no why wouldn't i describe it as a hobby and i'm like no it's like more of a habit or an addiction mm. yeah like it's a practice yeah yeah but like also something that you feel maybe compelled to do yeah yeah, yeah. um e- yeah even at the expense of other areas areas of well-being in your life yeah, yeah. which is what you would de- like you know destructive to the rest of your life is mm-hmm. how you describe addictions right like if yeah. someone if someone wasted their life on alcohol the way that we have on art <laughs> they would uh they would call it an illness right yeah which yeah. is funny yeah um so i think i really started to take art seriously i was um 
my junior year in high school, I went abroad and I lived in Spain for a year with oh, a host cool. family. Yeah, and that was like a really um, challenging experience for me. I didn't really speak Spanish when I got there, you know. How's your Spanish now? It was, I was fluent when I came back and now I'm like, okay, I'm like decent. I can get by, you know, yeah. I can talk to my neighbors who only speak Spanish. Um, but yeah, I'm not at my 17 year old peak of Spanish. If you had moved to Miami, you would be still, cause you would have more opportunity. That's one of the things that was shocking when I moved to, to California mm -hmm. was like, how, first of all, how many, and it, and it has to do with like how many generations of, you know, like second generation kids are not going to necessarily be speaking Spanish as much. Yeah because they don't have to like necessarily speak Spanish to their parents. Mm -hmm. So, and even within my family, like my dad, uh, my, my brother calls my dad Papa and the rest of us all call him dad. Oh, because he's the oldest? <laughs> he's the oldest and I think they lived in, he lived in more Latin American countries growing up because he lived in Costa Rica and, mm. and uh, you know, I, that's less in my, although my Spanish accent, I think reverts to a Central American accent when I speak Spanish because that's where I learned. Mm. So mm -hmm. I, I don't sound like a guanajo, you know, like with that fluency. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, and my English used to be uh, like sound like I was a Spanish speaker. Like uh, uh, non-Spanish speakers in Miami have an accent that makes them sound like they are from like that they speak Spanish, but they don't. It's just the local. It's just from living in Miami. Yeah, yeah. That's really funny. Yeah, yeah. You said you lived in Rome. Yes. How old were you when you came over? To the Twelve US? years old. Okay. And I came over right during Hurricane Andrew. I don't know if you remember that I don't one. Don't remember that. It was one. like uh, the biggest hurricane uh, catastrophe that had happened before Katrina. Like it, uh, it, it went over Florida, and everybody was like, "Oh, Florida's fine." And then they realized that it had hit Homestead, and like destroyed it. Uh, I remember. I, I've heard. I heard stories of people like hiding in the bathtub underneath a mattress for safety. Damn. So so yeah. So I moved that weekend. We were fine. They just <laughs> <You're> like <laughs> what the fuck. <laughs> but then uh, yeah. Then I started to have like a passionate relationship with uh, hurricanes because it's like when society fails, you mm. know. Like and then everybody has to kind of cooperate and and understand each other, which is not what you think of when you think of Miamians typically. But it was yeah. It was, it's pretty collaborative, and the yeah. only thing that the only industry that still works is the drug business. Mm. You can still cap. <laughs> yeah, the whole the whole city trauma bonded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what yeah. it is. Yeah, and uh, and like there's no lights, so you like pull up on a on a tree, and you you just like oh shit, it fell. <laughs> like there's like fallen trees on the road, but there's no light, so you like don't see it until the very last minute. Oh damn. Yeah. That's but crazy. Uh, yeah. Uh, so have you, uh, have you ever been to Rome or just Spain? I mean, I've been to Rome, but like as a tourist, you know, mm -hmm. um, oh, but what I was saying was when I was in Spain, I would like, I felt like, you know, I, I met all these kind of bohemian people, I mean, you know, the lifestyle is just different there. Like people live with their parents till they're like 26 or like married, you yeah. know, like there's just a different kind of, um, well, I mean, ethic going on. Now people do that here too. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But it wasn't seen as like a negative thing, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like I went to spend a time in my life where I was like just an overachiever. I was like, you know, captain of whatever, like soccer and like cross country straight A's, but I was like so depressed. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I went to Spain, I saw that all these people like kind of like, you know, not overachieving <laughs> for lack of a better word but like hanging out in cafes talking about marxism drinking beer smoking hash you know taking I, siesta yeah and i was just like 
oh, like this is, you don't have to like earn your way to being a valued individual, yeah. you know, like, and so I feel like that was kind of the beginning of like, you know, Bohemian Kim, you know, <laughs> um, and I turned to art a lot during that year because, you know, I, I was processing things and didn't have a bunch of friends, you know, I really had to like integrate over time into mm. the, into the society. Um, and yeah, I think that's when I started to take it like seriously and really like use it as like a daily kind of practice or orientation to the world. But you weren't there for art school or anything. You were just doing a study. No, I was in high school. Yeah. Oh, so you were like, so then you went over there and then they sent us an exchange student? Yeah. Yeah. I lived with a host family and then their kid got to come to the U.S. I think they ended up like Wisconsin or something. Oh man, that's rough. Yeah. I was like, (laughs) oof, okay. I mean. The land of serial killers. Yeah. Yeah. The land of, yeah. I don't know. Anyways, (laughs) I think I got the better end of the deal. Yeah, Um, for sure. I bet he thought he was, it it was in his mind because like the U.S., I remember when I was like uh, a kid and I told my friend that I was going to Miami and he goes, Miami, Miami Beach. And I was like, it's it's a beach, you know, but like it's so built up, especially, oh, yeah. especially in the 80s. I mean, I think like that, the like the U.S. has done a really good marketing job, oh, you yeah. know, it's like this guy was like in the middle of like Wisconsin, but he loved it. He was like, oh, yeah, we like, you know, he has a hat, like one of those like fisherman hats. And then there's like <laughs> beer, um, beer bottle like lids like chomped uh, around the edge of it like you know you like take your oh, teeth yeah, and, yeah, like, yeah. and it was like folded in half and then crimped <laughs> on the on the hat wow yeah and that was like his like you know souvenir or his like kind of like token from that time that he still like has and holds on to and like has good memories about and you know there's like prom and malls and all these things that are just like circulated in like the are the ether of like you know, globalized entertainment industry. And it yeah, really yeah. does make it like larger than life, even though it's stuff that we're like, this is like, you know, kids trying to grind in a school gym, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah. like it's, it's more than that. It's like a myth. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's re- it, the other thing is that like all those countries have like really good uh, dubbing industries, like the dubbing industry in Italy was amazing. So mm. they would all the movies we would get in these really easy to digest formats, whereas like everything that comes over here is dubbed terribly, and then uh, like, yeah. and then you just have to read subtitles. So I don't even watch like the only thing that I the only foreign films I watch are Italian mm. ones. First of all, because the old ones are really good, like the uh, Antonioni and all of that stuff. But yeah, it like. Netflix at one point just became all foreign entertainment and I'm like I don't want to read <laughs> it's, it's hard to watch when you're sleepy because then yeah. once your eyes start to droop you're like mm. or like you'll be watching something you walk into the next room and you're like oh no I have to pause it <laughs> yeah you know I like you just forget all, all those details I do appreciate the the Korean entertainment that's come over so far. Well, that's that's one of the things, you know, that's one of the countries that has the most soft power next to us compar- mm. comparatively. Like that global entertainment uh, infrastructure is like that's they're really like they they t- they overtook Japan and all of that, you know. And yeah. Japan was like the fetishized cultural um, stuff that like for, for when I was a kid. I don't, yeah. Do you remember the Score TV? No, on MTV. I don't remember that. Uh, it was a TV show, but it was like, it was the cool stuff, like 1990s, like late 1990s going into the millennial. Millennium was like kind of the peak America for me. Oh my God. They were playing dump, drum and bass in like, you know, 
commercials and stuff it just felt like the future was coming y2k was a <laughs> y2k oh my i remember y2k i yeah i recently watched um the documentary about woodstock 99 oh how is it oh it's rough i mean it was a really good documentary but like you know i grew up i came of age in that era too you know i was watching like mtv spring break with like wet t-shirt contests singled out you know all yeah. those like mtv shows like brought raised by tv basically and then like so woodstock 99 was kind of the culmination kind of of that era where it's like fred durst corn <laughs> eminem like this whole huge lineup of like a music festival only two female artists which yeah, is yeah. like alanis morissette and jewel like the most <laughs> random you know i mean they were huge stars but like very uh doesn't match the rest of the lineup yeah very different vibe um but yeah basically they just like laid out how the whole um festival like fell apart and imploded out of like kind of like white male angst you know mm -hmm. like these dudes in cargo shorts are basically just like tearing plywood off the you know infrastructure and then like crowd surfing on top of the pieces of plywood setting shit on wow. fire groping women like yeah, yeah. the whole thing was just like a total and complete like you know testosterone infused like explosion of like yeah, yeah. you know shit you know and i, and I was like literally wow, too yeah <laughs> oh yeah like the porta potties were all fucked like all the infrastructure was fucked up the showers were disgusting anyways um i was like oh yeah that's that was the era that's you that know was the death of it yeah it sounds like I mean, I think it kept going for a little while after that, but I, I just, it just really like threw into relief, like taking a step back, like this is what raised us, <laughs> you know? And like, I look at like yeah, the, the Gen Zers now and the kind of like more um, fragmented media that's out there, you know, just with social media and the internet and YouTube and stuff. And I'm like, oh, well, no wonder everyone's like, you know, queer, non-binary, like defining their own, like, you know, kind mm -hmm. of lanes. It's like, we only had like two choices it yeah, felt yeah. like growing up you know and i'm like it had it had and you were very scared that you were on the queer side like, oh but, yeah you know, i was like super anxious of an experience yeah because, no like, you don't it was, wanna yeah it was <laughs> like i mean now I, I it's nice to imagine of a kid that like even just turned out to be straight and didn't have all that anxiety about like the possibility of not you know yeah like, totally it affected everybody <laughs> no one got away from homophobia back in those days yeah you know yeah totally um but um but it's interesting i feel i feel like i'm maybe like four years older than you uh, we don't have to disclose our ages publicly. Although, <laughs> what's your zo Chinese zodiac sign? I don't know. I think uh, I year of something. Well, yeah, you would year of something. <laughs> uh, my cultured response. Um, but but I like all of that was kind. Of, I'm a Gen Xer by like one year, okay. right? So I feel like the corn and all of that stuff kind of missed me. Even the Deftones, like all that new metal stuff mm. was definitely part of that. My 2009 was, like you said, uh, in rebellion to the monoculture. So I was like really into drum and bass and stuff like that. Were you, you know? a raver? I was a hard raver. Oh my God. You can't tell I got the Air Maxes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a raver side? Uh, well, no, the, the, the 95s are the real raver ones. Okay. The Air Max 95s. And I remember when those came out because I wasn't buying Nike at the time. Another thing from our generation where like we boycotted stuff because oh, of yeah. labor and now we're just like, ah, my iPhone is made by slaves. But I need it. How am I going to post, though? 
I literally just touched my pocket and it wasn't there and I realized, like I had a moment of panic and I realized we're shooting with it. <laughs> like, oh God, there you are. You're okay. Yeah. Well, do you like, can we talk maybe a little bit about your practice? Is yeah. that, is that something you, you feel okay talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I feel great about that. Okay. So then, um, you said you do performance, right? Yeah. So my background is in like, uh, sculpture and I guess installation as well, you know, kind of like worn sculptural pieces that involve performance. And then at some, I think just gradually over like the past 10 years, I kind of started to use my own body more and then got into like video making, performances for the camera. And yeah, so now I'm kind of like in that area of like live performance, performance for the camera, Mm -hmm. um, film. um. And you did a performance here, which you told me a little bit about. I did, yeah. It was the working title... Well, maybe it's the actual title since I, well, whatever. We're going to refer to it <laughs> as Food, Fertility, and Border Control. Okay. And it's a Costco shopper analysis. Border Control. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. We so just I do use, the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So I use the Costco. So I read an article in Business Insider where the average Costco consumer was a 39-year-old Asian-American woman who is married, has a four-year degree or higher level of education, and makes over $125,000 a year. And so I read these, and I was like... Do you make over $125,000? Well, so I read them, and I was like, (laughs) these all sound like me except for one. I'm like, oh, this is like that party game, like three truths and a lie, you know? It's because your your four-year degree is in art. Yeah, (laughs) yes. I invested six years into into my current... uh, you know, income level. So, <laughs> so yeah. And the debt? Um, is it still there or is it paid No, off? I'm debt free. You're debt I'm free? lucky to be oh. debt free. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Is that from your, uh, husband's side? <laughs> it's he? not. Oh, no, okay. I paid off some of his debt actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. So then you're not that far off of the, maybe it's like a hundred thousand, but not 125. No, no. Well, UCLA <laughs> was interesting because it was like, free basically if you're in state you went to ucla yeah yeah so ucla was ended up like equaling out with your ta ships and things like that and then i you know in the performance i also talk about like um well maybe i should like just back into it it. okay so basically i use the analysis this four point uh these four statements to like delve into like these issues of food fertility and border control, you Mm. know, um, taking this kind of like fun fact of Costco shoppers. And then like, I'm like doing basically a stand-up set, but not as funny, but but it's like me and a microphone and like laying out like, you know, okay, I, yes, I am who thinks I'm 39 years old, Mm. you know, an Asian American woman. Do we think this statement is true about me? And people are like, yeah. Or some people are like, no, because they don't want to like offend me because of the age or something. But I'm like, no, no, this is true. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I basically just like walk backwards. Like I was born in 84. My parents were born in 56. We were born in China. This is what Asian American means. Um, and so kind of like through this like personal uh, history, I get into like Asian America history, Asians in the in society. Um, and so eventually I get there by talking about kind of like this one hundred twenty five thousand dollar um the last fact which is you know the all the three other ones were true and this one is false wait Um, so do you have kids i have one kid yeah okay yeah i have a two-year-old okay shout out to Bo. um (laughs) mommy loves you (laughs) um (laughs) you will you will never understand how true that is (laughs) yeah it's really intense yeah um 
okay, so I'm talking about this 125K mark. And like, you know, that brings me to talking about like artists and how we make money to survive in the world. Mm -hmm. And basically, um, you know, I'm kind of like, well, you know, my first gen, you know, uh, upbringing kind of taught me how to hustle, you know, and kind of get money for myself because my parents were never going to give me any. Um, And one of the ways I talk about doing that is that I actually donated my eggs back in 2008 um, through a company called Asian Egg Donation, LLC. And so... I'm sorry, that sounds shady. (laughs) I mean, it kind of is. Um, Just the name and more than anything. Asian Egg Donation. I know, that's why I like to say the whole thing, you know? Yeah. Um, Was it in the back of a van? (laughs) No, no, it was, uh, you know, very professional. It was basically like a website. And then it's like, they're basically running like a personals platform, you know, where, you know, young Asian women can upload images of themselves, fill out profiles, applicate, you know, it's basically writing out like a long ass MySpace profile of yourself. It sounds, it also feels a little bit like Hinge or Twit, uh, um, what's the original one? OkCupid? Yeah, OkCupid. Like where you're like, uh, because the appearance element of it yeah right. like you list your interests your accomplishments you upload your um i had to give my high school transcripts my college transcripts my sat scores my act scores if they even have that anymore um yeah do, it do was, you have any like um mental health things that you had to disclose or i did not at that time <laughs> those mental health issues came later <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you took the money and you ran. I like it. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, from that experience, I was able to get like a good, nice chunk of money to kind of like live off of. And um, how much does that pay? Like a uh, hundred thousand? No, no, 000? not at all. It was like ten thousand. Okay. Yeah, but like you know, when you're like twenty-two, that's like a hundred thousand. That's a year's worth. Yeah, like, you worth know, of like yeah. it, you're like I'm fucking rich, man. Yeah. Like beers on me tonight. Yeah. Um, And I did it twice, actually. And the second time I asked for more money and they gave it to me. So, um, I mean, it is a very shady industry where where I actually listened to a podcast about it earlier um, this week. It's a podcast called This is Uncomfortable. And it's like (laughs) stories around money and how money makes things kind of like messy. And it was um, in it. And they interviewed this woman that donated her eggs like six times. Wow. You know, and um, which is kind of like the max that they recommend that you do it but there's like very little regulation about it you know other countries do have more stringent regulation but in the u.s it's kind of like you know if there's if whatever the market wants to pay you and whatever you know there's a weird fetishization too though i'm sure you know it it reminds me of like madonna going into africa and getting kids and Mm then in a more dark way the i know they did operation baby something in in vietnam where there was like literally set up so that people could be adopted like uh, orphans could be adopted and sent over here oh wow yeah it's operation baby something but anyway yeah like there's uh there's something crazy about that yeah did you hear about um the guy that got in trouble for donating sperm 500 times he got in trouble for it yeah because uh the problem is uh inbreeding right you're dating people and you don't know that you're like have siblings yeah or well i mean that's that happens in iceland too there's like an app for oh right yeah there's like a registry i've heard about that but but i think the idea is that all those 500 kids will not know and like like right. it's just like i just i'm i just can't imagine ejaculating 500 times just period like as really 
I mean, you don't think you've ejaculated 500 no, times think, in your life? I think I have, but I'm just saying <laughs> in a sterile environment and like, you know, like 500 trips to the donation bank. That's like, that's a it's lot. Like, but it's getting paid to do something you're going to do anyways, probably. You know what? You've turned me around on this. You know, that's what I loved about the egg thing where I'm like, okay, like I'm already ovulating. I'm yeah. having a period every month. Like, but that's less, pay me. but that's not, uh, that's already happening. You know, like, I think that like, there's something, uh, like but I had to shoot myself with hormones and stuff like that. So but that you, did, but happening. you didn't have to masturbate in a, in a, in a, in a room with like, it's just a different dynamic you but know you have I mean? your phone <laughs> <laughs> no 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 i'm not i'm just saying that it's a different vibe like right like the the extraction process oh like are you saying that maybe donating sperm might be considered like sex work well now that you put it that way i that it hadn't even that wasn't even where i was going with that i just think it's like an interesting difference where it's like you're you're already making it sound less fun because you have to take hormones like where we just go and you know yeah do like you said do something that we were already gonna do yeah yeah no like the phone thing doesn't bother i mean i don't necessarily no it wouldn't be to bother you i mean okay yeah all right see this is good now we're getting the boundary (laughs) issues power i'm like how do you masturbate uh i use a reverse grip (laughs) (laughs) or the stranger it's like you sit on your hand and it's like numb and you can't feel it I wonder if anyone's ever done that. <laughs> it I, sounds really difficult, actually, yeah. to have control over a member you can't feel. Anyways. Yes. Anyways. <laughs> so, uh, what, what in terms of contracts with that, like, you don't know where the eggs are going. Like, you have no rights to the eggs once they're sold, right? Yeah, I don't have any rights to them. I'm not their parent or anything. Um, but I did want, I did, like, advocate for, like, an open open exchange i don't know what the term exactly is but to make my information available to the if should any children be born of these eggs they can Mm -hmm. find my information um and so i mean i know for sure that one girl was conceived Mm. and so she would be like 14 15 right now wow yeah so i'm like well we'll see like you know if she's anything like me like i would want to know you know if her parents did tell her like her origin story you yeah. know I, w- I would seek me out but you know it's like we'll have to just see what happens do you um, think that if you were them how do you like do you think they would be disappointed or excited how do you feel about like you know or, or like meeting you oh like how the kid would feel about how they were conceived yeah i don't know i mean i think there's a lot of um variation yeah. you know like i think some people who are like donor babies do have a lot of questions around their identity and feel like, oh, maybe this was a selfish thing for, you know, my my biological mom got paid to like, you know, basically make I, me, I mean, you know, I and I'm not getting shit. I mean, I for giving me life sometimes, you know? Yeah, no, none of us <laughs> asked to be here. I mean, I think that's an interesting thing too, right? Like as a parent where it's like kids, there's no consent conversation around even existing you know and then once they're in the world it's like you have to do everything for them you know and so there's no there's 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 not that ability to have that conversation or that like to get consent you know so um yeah i don't know i think it's all just like fascinating because it's all very like messy murky and also like shady (laughs) shady yeah but also like loving and tender too because it's like these people really wanted and the reason that asian egg donation exists was like 
there was a shortage of Asian donors. And so when Asian uh, couples are trying to like make a baby through IVF, like how are they going to find someone that like kind of like looks like them, you know? So do they mostly serve people? Like it's not it's not for white people to like be like, hey, I want something exotic. Not that I know of. Okay. That, would, <laughs> that would be really weird. But I think to my understanding, it was mostly geared towards like uh, Asian, Asian uh. American kind of like couples who wanted to like, yeah, have a baby that kind of looked like them. But but I don't know that for a fact, you yeah. know? And would they have turned away people if there was like two blonde people trying to have like a half Asian? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. That's like a, that's an interesting question. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the whole like industry of like baby making, it's like I'm learning more about that. Um, and like, you know, people who were adopted like transnationally, like from Korea or something. It's like, yeah, there's like people that are really pissed off about being like, yeah, just like purchased basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, by somebody that's like completely outside of their culture and brought to like America. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, I've, I've known white guys to be raised by Asian parents, like which I, it, I had never even really thought about that. Well, really? Like, I mean, I ju- it's just, you know, people, you know of a person, right? And the, like, it's, it's. I don't not know so of like, any people. I know it's an ex's ex. So. Interesting. <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? And, uh, and yeah, but, but it, it is, it's, it's crazy because even within like, especially Latin American uh, families, like there are racial tensions between siblings who look darker skin? Like mm, I, mm-hmm. I used to coach soccer, and uh, when actually when you said you played soccer, I wanted to know what position you played. What position? Center mid. Oh, okay, so you got you 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 got ball control. Yeah, I'm like give me the ball. Yeah, Let yeah. me distribute. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like yeah, like I I, I remember one of the coaches or, or assistant coaches, like volunteer coaches, was roasting her brother as a, being adopted because his skin was so much darker. Mm. And like it's just it 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 kind of goes back to the um, what we were talking about with like when it was nerve wracking to like when the homophobia was everywhere like when racism is everywhere like that it's really hard for it to just stay outside of the bounds of your family. Oh you know? yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I, I yeah. I mean in, in in Chinese culture too, you know, there's like a like a hierarchy between light skinned and dark skinned yeah. Chinese, you know, and and I think a lot of countries have a history of this and still like well, playing the, out in the philippines they have skin whitening creams oh like, yeah. yeah i mean that's all over asia and like yeah. whitening brightening i think there's some even marketed to like the black community um anal bleaching i mean i guess that's for everybody um <laughs> yeah let's not let's not bash <laughs> anal bleaching everybody <laughs> deserves draw the line somewhere <laughs> that's but, not racist but like it's i mean i think that's the thing my art is like really concerned with right it's like this like um division or lack thereof really between like our private stories and our personal narratives and these like larger kind of like historical um trends and ideologies and hierarchies and power dynamics you know it's like i think a lot of times there is a division you know in the law in popular culture in so many ways between like what we do in private in our own homes and then like you know legislation and Mm. public space but really the two are just like very much intertwined yeah, yeah, you know, and I so so it's like, but the performances and um, works that I engage with are like very much trying to like trace those um, relationships and kind of give them some kind of visual form or description. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had uh, an artist named Anna I- uh, I- Iwataki. Uh, 
on the show and she talked about her topic was genealogical disclosure which was a really interesting thing that um which is that like over here like obviously asian people are minority but within asia they're not like they're the 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 homogeny exists in a way that maybe doesn't necessarily exist in like global south countries right like Mm. um where colonialism has like set two different like you know mixed races like like in latin america there's a lot of like white latinos and then there's uh but it's interesting are there like are there dark-skinned chinese people is that yeah my dad's pretty dark okay and then is that but he's chinese chinese Mm -hmm. or yeah so i took a 23 and (laughs) me a couple years ago and then um I was like, yeah, I think I'm just like Chinese and like a little bit Russian. And that's exactly what came. Like there was no Vietnamese or like other kind of Asian countries. It was just mm-hmm. like, boom. Um, but yeah, my dad's from the south of China. So Sichuan province. And um, he's more darker skin. I mean, he's like, he looks like he's just like, he looks like he might be like Southeast Asian. Okay. You know? Um, and so, and when I went back to China and I was going back before COVID, people would think I was like Thai or, you know, like pan asia uh interpretations you know Mm -hmm. but very few people thought i was chinese just i think the way because i presented myself i had like dreadlocks at one point very (laughs) embarrassingly um this was like 20 years ago but nonetheless you know we were like oh you can't be chinese (laughs) that's interesting but yeah there's a lot of variation so there's there's a lot of ethnic uh ethnic diversity yeah and there's a lot of different ethnic groups you know it's like Mm -hmm. the han group in china is like kind of the majority but then there's like the Hmong and like you know so many more groups that i don't even i'm not familiar with enough to name but like Mm -hmm. um yeah oh the people in in in, uh in tibet too you know so is um, there is is there like colonization i mean obviously there's hong kong and whatnot but did that spread to other other colonies like what is was colonialism a a thing in in china i know very little about china i I know about the cultural revolution like maybe some yeah it's like i'm i'm actually teaching myself chinese history recently too um and so to that it's like yeah so there's the opium war in Mm the 1800s um i i was researching the 1800s and I'm kind of researching that time now in like China and the US um, because like so many people came over to the US during that time for like the gold rush and I was like Mm -hmm. well why did so many people come to the US like what made you like leave all your shit behind and just like go clear across the Pacific at a time when that was like what the fuck you might as well just disappear you know Um, and it was because there was like the century what was called like the century of humiliation where it was like the end of the last like uh, dynastic rulers in China. Uh, the Qing dynasty had been ruling since like 1644. And so by the 1800s, they're like pretty out of touch with like the population, what's going on. Um, people were, uh, there was overpopulation. There was a series of droughts that ended up in this like huge famine in like the 1870s. And at the same time, yeah, you had Britain in there doing the opium wars Mm. because um, as a way to uh, basically try to fill the trade deficit between Great Britain and China, like more people from Great Britain wanted to buy things from China than people in China wanted to buy things from Mm. the UK, right? So they're like, And was it mostly opium? Yeah, so they were like, (laughs) so they got people hooked on opium and was like, okay, this can be our export now, Uh you know? So that was kind of like, you know, it's like this 
Wait, drug who, who decided that the the uh, the British decided this could be our export now? Yeah. Okay, so yeah. they just wanted to take the whole game. Yeah, yeah. Okay. It was, it's like you know. Uh, it's like a street gang, like street yeah. gang, like you know. Totally, yeah, yeah. totally. Um, and then yeah, so so that happened. I think that's how they got Hong Kong, actually. Um, fact check me on that one. Uh, and then Qingdao was like a German colony that was like on the coast, but I'm not sure how that one came about. I haven't mm. gotten that far in the research yet. And then Japan was also in there during that time. So there was a lot of just like Japan was doing dirty deeds. For yeah, a long there was time. a lot of shit going on in China in the 1800s, I would say. Yeah. And um, yeah, and also like, you know, some people are like, you know what, China are, are like the colonizers of Asia. Yeah. You know, and so. Well, what's interesting is that, like, during the Second World War, we were more afraid of Russia invading China than, and like, we did. That's some people say that's why we dropped the bomb to, like, uh, on um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, not because we needed to end the war and we we're trying to stop a war, in, but just kind of to show the Russians, like, hey, uh, maybe leave Manchuria alone, in uh, yeah. which is interesting, and. And, like, one of the things that I find really interesting now, especially with all this stuff that's going on with the war, is, like, people, like, calling Russians, like, white as if it means the same thing as, like, a white person from over here. Like, ethnically, mm. they're very different, right? And it has to do with the proximity to China. And just the whole Eastern Bloc has, like, been isolated for so long, you know? Like, yeah. the Soviet Bloc, like, they people couldn't travel to the West. So it's an interesting... Um, like the I, I I always find that like conversations about race are very much within the paradigm of America's like relationship yeah. to slavery and all of that, but like white people kill each other over ethnic issues, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. Like they're they're not. Uh, so it it it's interesting because race is a construct, yes, but it's also like something that people hold very dear right yeah well it's like the boundaries shift too even yeah. within america you know it's like the irish weren't white the italians weren't white at some point yeah you know and there's actually a lot of intermarriage between chinese men and irish women at one point oh wow because chinese women were excluded from immigrating into the u.s um yeah in the, is, in the is that because cause they didn't think that the labor was of enough quality or it was because um so basically in like the 1800s during like the the gold rush era mm -hmm. um in the west prostitution was legal mm -hmm. you know people would visit brothels and it was like no big deal and like there were white american women working in brothels and there were also chinese immigrants working in in uh, brothels but there was also an anti-asian sentiment at the time in the west of like all the Americans being united together because we're like, hey, at least we're not Chinamen. Yeah, yeah. You know, this is this is our land. Like, get the fuck out of here. And so because of that double, like, racial misogyny, Chinese women became kind of like the scapegoats mm -hmm. of society. You know, we were vectors of disease, uh, spreading syphilis and what have you. You know, we were immoral. We were, like, tearing apart the fabric of society. Um, you know, we couldn't uphold good Christian values and this idea of like true womanhood which is yeah. like based on like christian piety and all this stuff so um as a result of these attitudes uh there was a congress person in uh called Ho like horace page or something from california that proposed the page act which prevented all women of east asian origin from being transported into the united states for purposes for lewd and immoral purposes mm -hmm. quote unquote such as prostitution. And so by doing this, basically they conflated like 
all East Asian women, Chinese women in particular, as prostitutes and sex workers, right? And then they also were like, oh, but you're being transported into the country. So we're like actually protecting you in this paternal, paternalistic way. So they're like uh, patriarchs that are protecting yeah. you from sex trade. Yeah, but like, yeah. Like, you're just coming for work. Yeah, it's <laughs> like you're just erasing the whole swath of yeah. people just trying to like, you know, eat. Um, and then they were just like, yeah, let's just use sex workers as like yeah. a way to cast this like, um, to pass this discriminatory policy because no one's going to stand up for sex workers. No yeah. one's going to stand up for a prostitute or a whore. And then once that was in place in 1882, like seven years later, they passed the Chinese Exclusion Act that basically prevented all Chinese from entering the state up until like 1943 wow. when they needed to cozy up to China for World War II purposes. Um, but and, then were, I mean, all Asian Americans were in the internment camps around that time, right? Or, or they, 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 they weren't like, oh, you're Chinese. You're good. Yeah, I don't know, actually. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. But when it, when it, going back to one of the things that, it, like, it's really interesting that you assumed that you were part Russian. You oh, know? I am. Well, I know I am. Because, but, but how do you know that? Because my mom's um, grandma's Russian. Okay. So their story, so this is how, like, history and, like, family and, like, my body, it's, like, all, like, one thing, right? It's, like, so... My mom's grandma's Russian, and she came to, um, she met my Chinese grandfather, like, on the border of, like, China and Russia, where they were both working. Um, she was, like, teaching Russian to Chinese people in, like, college or something like that. And her family ended up there because um, of the Bolshevik Revolution, when, so this was, like, I think, like, the commun basically, like, the communist uprising in Russia when they were, like, um, overturning, like, the last, like, what do you call it? The emperor or the czar of mm -hmm. Russia, Nicholas something the, yeah. or other, Rom the Romanovs. Um, and so my uncle told me, like, yeah, their family, their last name was Romanov. Oh, wow. So they had to, like, get the fuck out of there, <laughs> you know? Um, and so that caused her to flee to Harbin, which is where she met my grandpa, which is then she had kids, you know, these, like, mixed blood kids who, you know, they grew up in China and they faced discrimination um, for being, like, foreigners um yeah so it's just like i don't know it's just like really interesting how these like political movements just like force people to like move their bodies yeah, to yeah. find safety and then you're like oh and then they fucked and then like that's my that's my grandpa <laughs> <laughs> but it but one of the like it's so interesting especially now with what's happening with like bricks the do you know what bricks is no so, it's bricks. so russia there's an alliance between russia uh and china and Brazil and everybody in the world wants to be part of this because it is an alternative to American unipolar hegemony mm. and and the US dollar. So basically like in, like recently, China just brokered a deal between Iran and, and uh, Saudi Arabia, which is unheard of. Uh, and, and so when it's really crazy talking to like Americans that don't see the full scope of of it but it i mean like of course these cultures are next door neighbors they're gonna intermingle and mm -hmm. and, and interbreed even yeah. but 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 um but as like a like as a as a as a power house nowadays it's really a, an interesting thing they're doing like china's doing a lot of crazy stuff or crazy in a i think it's positive a lot of people are like being um alarmists about it but like they're being much nicer to africa than we've ever been like they're mm. not killing their leaders they're mm. like you know and so recently they were asked like someone some african leader was asked to 
uh, to like trash a, a, or if they would arrest um, Vladimir Putin if he went to Africa and it was like brah get out of here with that shit you know so like it's interesting the American narrative about these two countries that are like super evil and nefarious and I'm like oh you know what if they get in power it doesn't seem like they're gonna fuck Americans you know because like what we do is we starve countries mm. right we starve countries and we say that it's so that they'll rise up but people that are starving can't fight yeah. and right revolt against the government so what ends up happening is brain drain which mm. is the only reason i've just recently come to terms with this the only reason we do that we we like i'm from cuba my sister just went back recently there's nobody between the ages of 18 and 40 oh wow. anybody that has the potential to live a life tries to get out of there you yeah. know and like you look at uh anna darmas who's like a huge celebrity i didn't even know she was cuban you know <laughs> and she like left to spain she did she acted in you know in movies and or in, in stuff over there and then slowly made her way over here yeah but like that that is how like that's so crazy to me you know like how we um how the dialogue of like anything that's not american we're so suspicious of china i'm like yo china like we just sent all of our jobs there that's why they're doing well <laughs> yeah i mean china's doing fucked up shit and oh, so is america you yeah. know it's kind of like well you know, every these you're just vying for power and influence, and it's not good enough just to influence your own country within your own borders. You have to be able, you as a country, want to control like the landscape, the global landscape of, you know, ideology of what's yeah. going on, so that you can then exert more control and have a better position and stuff. You know, but there's and, different ways of doing it. Oh yeah, and our way of doing it is to have bases everywhere and then be like, why are your boats close? So why is your country so close to our bases? Mm, <laughs> which is mm -hmm. kind of the beef that we're having with China right now, which is interesting. But yeah, like, uh, yeah, I, I think that what gives me like, I know that China and Russia are not good places, especially like Russia for queer people and mm -hmm, all of that. Mm -hmm. But there's something to be said that all these global South countries are like trying to get on board, you know, because there's a better deal for them. Whereas like we're just like we use the IMF to like kind of keep people trapped in in deals that are going to screw them years and years down the road. And like this alternatives coming and everybody's like, uh, we're with China. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, why are they in such like a, a, a compromised position in the first place? You know, colonialism, yeah, imperialism, exactly. you know, it's like we fucking did that shit. We, we are doing that. Right yeah. Now. You yeah. know, like Libya, Libya, uh, we overthrew because they wanted to nationalize their oil and come up with the dinar. So like, I mean. Right now, it's it's always funny to me when people that li don't live in Russia and China that but live in America are always talking about how evil those countries are, mm -hmm, and like mm -hmm. I'm like, mm. you know, like for me, you know, like not to not to be anything, but like Antifa is interesting because they never protest the FBI, they never protest the CIA, they never protest like the real fascism. They protest, they, they go and they protest like people that are homophobic, which like, okay, that's fine, but you're not anti-fascism, <laughs> you know, does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know much about Antifa, so I, ha I have nothing yeah. to add, unfortunately. There's, some, there's but... some really problematic video footage of them. And and I'm a leftist, you know, like, so I, I'm definitely against fascism, but I don't think a lot of people even know what fascism is. Yeah. I think they just like, oh, you're a right winger. 
you're fascist. I'm like, eh, there's other kinds of things. There, there's like authoritarianism, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But um, so what, do you do you go back to China? Do you have like ties to your roots and stuff or? Most of my immediate family is here. And then I do have some cousins and uncles, uh, aunts and stuff that are still in China. But I haven't been back since COVID. Mm. Um, yeah. What, what's what's life like there? Like for, for somebody that doesn't speak the language, put me in go in the mindset of going home to China. Uh, 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 hmm. I don't know if I can do that. It's like so varied, you know, like the last time I went back was in 2019. I went back to Beijing and um, it was I was filming for for this video that I later made in 2020. And I was like filming in Tiananmen Square, which is like, you know, that iconic kind of like mm. government plaza um, where the protest student protests happened in 1989. But when I went there, you know, it was like kind of to relive like. I remember loving going there when I was little, mm -hmm. like three, four years old and just like running around this giant like plaza with like balloons and like the light was always kind of cool. Like, and so I was just like filming little kids, like chasing balloons and in their cute little outfits and stuff. Um, yeah. And you had to like walk through security to get there. But then um, I don't know. I guess it's like every time I go, it's also very different. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just always changing. And in a lot of ways, it's like I have very, um, like it's not in my body anymore mm -hmm. to to, that makes sense. to orient myself to the city, right? My husband actually he lived in Beijing for about on and off for like ten years. He's and Chinese too. No, he's actually um, like a white American, but um, yeah, I don't know. He grew, <laughs> he got influenced by some Chinese friends when he was like in middle school and high school, and then he was like, I'm gonna learn Chinese, and then just like learned Chinese and then like worked in China and lived there for like you know. was that an appeal like was that a, a bonus when you I mean met when him? I met him I was like oh yeah another white guy that's gonna be like oh ni hao ma like you no know, like three <laughs> words you know be like fuck you like xenophile but like he was legit you know okay. he could like read and write and then like we also just connected on so many other points um and then when it came to the point where it's like okay like I think you fit into my life and actually my family, you know, in this way that like, I don't know. We joke because I'm like, oh, together we make one full Chinese person. <laughs> like I kind of like have the good hearing comprehension and like the, um, you know, good accent, native accent or whatever. But like I can't I'm not very good at reading or writing mm -hmm. and he can read and write. So we're like, oh, OK, great. Like <laughs> now we can function as a full individual. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it's kind of like a lovely compliment that we yeah. have. Um, but yeah, so since he would live there as an adult, you know, it's like he has much more like of an orientation to the city. It's like, oh, this neighborhood's like this, this is like that. You know, it's like every time I go back, I feel like, I'm, oh, I'm like kind of like regressing or something back to like a certain point in my life that was like very early. And also that makes it feel like, you know, very tender too. Mm. Um, yeah. What is it like, what are your favorite cultural memories of like you know what like what because like it's so hard to get around american propaganda to see what mm. a, a culture really is like you yeah. know especially when they're just constantly talking about the one china policy and, and like that's all you hear about and how we're gonna go to war with them and mm. it's like they're people <laughs> you yeah. know and like uh i just find it interesting like is what what do you and, and then also there's like for me 
like for example, most of this stuff that I know about China is probably propaganda of some form or other. You know, um, so it's interesting to me to like like what do like what do you what were you what was being like being a kid like there like what did you play with? You know, we did you did you have Nintendo? No, I but I did watch uh, He Man and She Ra dubbed over. Okay, okay. On TV, we had that. We had concrete floors on our in our um, apartment, and so I I have. Uh, memories of like drawing the ABCs and stuff like that with chalk, like indoors, going to the park, which is same. I feel like here and probably most places. Um, yeah, and then as an adult, I really, <laughs> this is so stupid. I really appreciate the massage and bathhouse culture. Like literally, that would be like my nirvana. Like mm-hmm. if I died and like you know could just be in a bathhouse for like the rest of eternity, I would be so happy because it's like you go in. You get like a robe, there's a buffet, you can hit it as many times as you want. Then you can just like get services like foot massage, like facial, body massage. And you're just like sitting in a recliner in this big <laughs> theater room with like TV playing. You can like be on your phone. Like it's just the bomb. And you can spend the whole night there, it, like doesn't close. You definitely are um, from the 90s. You just said the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I am. Um, that yeah. sounds amazing, though. Yeah, it's inc- It's like we spot. I mean, if you've been to the Korean spots here, it's like that times like a thousand. You know, it's just like on steroids. Is it like more affordable than those kinds of services are out here? Or is there's it- like a range? Yeah, okay. depending on like what if you're in a big city or like a second tier city, and then even within those cities, there's like various types. But um, yeah, one of the things that I assume is absent because I've only been to the Philippines. But the Philippines is so culturally tied to American militarism mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that, like, there's, like, G.I. Joe Burger. I mean, you know, something like that. Like, yeah. I, I forget exactly what it was called. But, like, it's, like, uh, it, there's, a, there's, like, Americana, but it's super militarized Americana. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's all, it's, you know, camo kind of Americana. Uh, but I imagine that like that just doesn't happen in in China. No, not that I've experienced. Yeah. When my dad, when he would he worked for the UN, so he would travel there. And one of the things that was amazing to me as a little kid that just blew my mind is that because of the isolation, uh, like people didn't really speak English because he was in mainland. He wasn't mm-hmm. in in Hong Kong, and um, and like to get around, he had to have like characters written out for him mm-hmm. so he could be like, this is where I'm going. This is my hotel. Yeah. You know, like that level of language barrier. I've, I've experienced, you know, going to France. I don't speak French. So, but like there's at least some proximity, Yeah, you know? So, so is, is there like anything culturally, so culturally different from America that like you're fond of that you kind of, you know, like I wish we were a little bit more like that over here. I wish everyone would take off their fucking shoes in the house. Oh my god, that's a good call. That's a good call. So I mean, simple. I do, I do that at my house just because LA is so gross. But yeah, that is a good call. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I think just like the late night eating too. I went the last time I went, we were um, hung out with my uncle, and um, he was like, "Oh yeah, we'll take you out with some friends," and we went to drink basically drink night beers is what they called it and you just like sit in a little shack like not even a shack it's like a little tent or something outside like on the banks of the river you know and you're just like drinking beers and eating kind of like the food that they grill up there and it's like all different types of food like it was just like yeah it's like kind of like i mean it wasn't so dissimilar to like kind of like spanish yeah it sounds yeah. like you know it's like a late night yeah gathering where you like snack and eat and i feel like that is not really part of the culture here you yeah. know 
I mean, I would have never guessed that it was so European, but that it it does sound like that does sound like uh, you don't eat dinner until ten kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I just really appreciate the food culture and the enthusiasm for food in China. Like maybe now, like if I were hanging out with like peers or people younger, there'd be like a no carb or keto thing. But like people just like love to eat food, and there's it's there's this kind of like unabashed, um, I don't know, enthusiasm for like. And the food, down. <laughs> the food is different than American Chinese food, right? Yes. Because you were saying that, that when you had fried rice over here the first time, before we started recording, you were like, whoa, what's this? <laughs> yeah, I remember really loving it because I was like, this is so different and good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very, and it's very varied. There's like so many regions of China. Like, you know, the, there's no one Chinese food, mm-hmm. you know, which is maybe different than here where it's like you go to Panda Express and it's like, you know, the same five dishes that you're going to find at like... You know, yeah, the Great yeah. Wall or, you know, these, <laughs> these other various restaurants I've worked in as a child. Um, yeah, but I mean, I still like the American Chinese food, you know, mm. but, you know, it's like that food came out of a specific history, too, where it was like back to the gold rush era, you know, where it's like there weren't very many women in the West to do these kind of like, you know, things like laundry or uh, food prep and service. And so Chinese workers filled those gaps because they didn't want to compete with the white uh westerners you know because mm. they don't want to get persecuted or run out of town so they that's why there's like the ubiquity of like chinese restaurants that cater to like non-chinese clientele and stuff yeah you know it's like from that history in miami in miami they serve chinese food with uh, uh platanos maduros like plantain Ooh. The, the fried plantains yeah that sounds good it's like it's one of the things that i miss the most of like because wow. and, and the the fried rice is a little bit different um but that is like one of those details where it's like it's so cuban over there that they're like bro if you don't serve, <laughs> if you don't serve that, you're 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 missing out on money. Yeah. You know, because everybody, I just don't remember ordering Chinese food and not having maluros with it. That's so awesome. I love it when cultures like meld together in that yeah. way, where they like find this like comfy little crevice where it's like, oh, we actually fit. You know, like I just think everyone should just mix together till we're all like, you know, around the same color, and then like, <laughs> you know, it's like. Why but that's not? homogenous. But well, no, there's so going to be many shades. <laughs> but, but you know, I don't know. I just. Do you yeah. know about chifas? No. That's Chinese. That's Peruvian Chinese food. Oh. So I don't know. There must be like a huge uh, Chinese culture over there because it is like notorious that really? Peru has its own Chifa. blend. Yeah, chifas own blend. Of, uh, of stuff. Now I'm getting hungry. Let's yeah. not talk about food. You know what? I was in Ecuador like a couple years ago and I did see signs that were like Chiva and it was like yeah. Chinese food. And I was yeah. like, what does that mean? It's not Chino. Like, is that what it's for? You know? Yeah. So that's cool. I didn't know that there was like a specific, that was specifically referring to like Peruvian Chinese. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and, and I, I guess it spreads to other places. But yeah, like I, there I, there has to be a chiefless place here in L.A. I would be surprised if they didn't have one, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which is one of the nice things about L.A. Oh, my that, God. Definitely. I love. Yeah, I love <laughs> living here for that reason. <laughs> All right. So I, I get that you like to eat. I like to eat. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite cuisine? Oh, my God. You can't just pick one, you know, like. I mean, I love Italian. <laughs> oh. God. But in Italy, not not here. I mean, I think I just have to say Chinese because there's so many types of Chinese. Okay. You know, but I also love, you know, Japanese food. I like Ethiopia. I like Korean food, Korean barbecue. 
I mean, you know, it's like I can just like name every genre of food and be like, <laughs> yes, there's something I, I love it. in that. Yeah. <laughs> so then, what, where, what, uh, where are you headed next? Like, what, what's in the cards for you in terms of your your art career? Let's mm. pivot back into into okay. the main. The main thing that all of the people listening what, what probably have What this thesis is about, anyways. Yeah. Um, well, right now I'm doing a digital residency with uh, Asian Arts Initiative in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, like, researching, uh, yeah, basically this, like, Chinese-American history, Chinese-American artists, representation of Asian-ness in America from, like, the 1800s through now. Just, like, yeah, why are things the way they are? You know, like... Why do you think that people? Because I, I I also have a very strong pull into like learning about Latin American history, which mm-hmm. oddly enough is mostly American history. Mm. <laughs> that that that's one of the things that I love to tell white people over here. It's like, yeah, you don't even know your own history because yeah. like you've done horrible shit to us. But um, but what what is it about that? Like, because and and I think it has to do with you were talking about your body and understanding your body and processing mm-hmm. your body. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that and, yeah. and and why that's important. Because I relate to that. Yeah, I mean, I think you know my relationship to art is always using it to understand kind of like where I am or what why am I feeling this? Like, what is this? You know, at first it was very bodily stuff, and then I think becoming a parent actually made me more interested in like history and just like lineages because now i'm like oh i'm part of like i'm continuing some vector Mm. here in a way that i didn't feel before i was a parent because i was like oh i'm like the end of the line like whatever fuck you guys like (laughs) i'm doing my own thing and i'm like oh shit no i'm like supporting i'm passing something forward you know so what is it that i'm passing forward and how did we get here so i mean yeah i think in a very like embodied way that's kind of piqued my interest in like going into myself and understanding um yeah where do i come from and why how did we get here why are things the way they are and like the more i learn about it the i'm like oh this like makes sense why chinese people are obsessed with food you know it's like there was a great famine in the during the cultural revolution and there was no fucking food and no wonder my parents like love food hoard food encourage me to eat all the food and now i love food you know like these things make sense and they become kind of like depersonalized in a mm-hmm. way and also like for the history of america too where i'm like i i, I feel and i felt so much anger about why why the fuck like trump goddamn you know anti-asian chinese virus all this stuff and then it's like when i've traced back like the history of america i'm like oh this is like just how america does shit you know this is par for the course and like it makes sense it's not personal it's just like america's always been this shitty yeah, yeah. and it's like actually slowly getting maybe less shitty but it's like in its his it's in its <laughs> bones you know like it's not personal to me it's not even about me it's like about yeah. them and their own issues um yeah yeah, I, uh, yeah, America is an interesting thing, it, I, and and it is interesting because you have to reconcile both, right? You can't just yeah. be be interested in the Chinese side. Yeah, because I'm not Chinese. I'm like yeah. Chinese American. You know, if I go back to China, I think I would. It'd be hard for me to like, yeah, yeah. find my community or like my my way through society there. You know, um, I've never been to Cuba. 
You're really, yeah, would you ever want to go? It's a it's a toss up to me. It's I'm conflicted because I know there's so much like very cheap sex tourism there mm -hmm. and that's gonna break my heart like it's like going back to a place that you've heard glorious stories of and and my sister went and she was, was very sad okay it, like it's heartbreaking you yeah. like you're just watching she went and there's no uh staples like the uh my understanding now is that cuban cuisine only exists in miami because they don't even have black beans oh wow and rice and stuff like basic stuff like that yeah. so uh, if they don't have black beans, they definitely don't have pork, mm, you know, which mm -hmm, is like a mm -hmm. cornerstone of uh, Caribbean food in general, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a it's a very complicated history and it's not resolved. You know, like yeah. if it, 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 there was that period where um, uh, Obama normalized relations and he was like and, and things like started to kind of move. They filmed the Fast and the Furious there. And like that, design shops were starting to open up. Like artists were starting to like there was commercialism and, and consumerism. But then yeah. Trump came in and 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 smashed that. And Biden is like an old school dude, so he's like also into the embargo. But but um, I think that the embargo doesn't do anything but serve both the Cuban government and the American government. American America has a villain, and then. Uh, Cuba has a villain right. and they 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 get to keep each other in power. It's a it's a symbiotic relationship. I don't think it's as 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 confrontational as it's portrayed uh because both sides benefit from it, right. you know. And um like and and culturally, you know, like like I I think that brain drain element is one thing that's just kind of hit me, you know, recently because now you have people like the immigration discussion has gotten so crazy because you have people that are being uh, it, it, migrants or immigrants that are being brought into the US and being housed by the government and people are upset that they're not helping the homeless people and mm -hmm. so that's kind of what made me realize that the main thing with these sanctions and with these with these things is brain drain if you take away a culture a country's doctors yeah. a country's you know and you make them flee the country the country doesn't have doctors doesn't have intelligent people yeah uh i play a game called civ 6 right which is like a video like world domination video game it's thrown all my morals like i do the worst things to people <laughs> like everything that i object to on a moral standpoint in that game i do to like you know dominate over other cultures and one of the big elements that changes the flow of the game is the great people Right, so you'll have like um, John Rockefeller is a is a character in the game, mm. and you get him, and then you use him, and he gives you more oil, access to oil. You know, all these little things, these 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 people that are important, and we've been doing that to Africa for decades. You know, mm. like Africa. One of the reasons that Africa can't help itself is because everybody comes here. Like every, you know, why would you stay and fix your country when you can have a decent life? You yeah. know especially when the powers that are oppressing the country are so insurmountable for you that you could just you know if you can't beat them join them kind of thing i don't there's not even judgment in that yeah but but i i really think that that's uh that that is kind of the the mentality behind a lot of that stuff yeah well i mean it's like yeah the brain drain or the immigration trying to find a better life it's like yeah what can you as one person do yeah, yeah. to like affect your destiny you your know? country's getting bombed yeah what are you gonna do yeah you know. So in this video game, The Civ Six, mm -hmm. have 
can you be like <laughs> what happens if you enact the morals that you you can do a science victory and you can do a religious victory you can do what are the other ones science religion cultural victory so you can have so much more tourism than everybody else that you that you beat them so, so wait it's a game where is it so it's, you play against other players you can I've been I've just been playing against the computer. You play against the computer, okay? So then it's like each game. How long does it last? Is it like? You know, I'm I'm embarrassed to say. <laughs> Can you give us a range? <laughs> Have you ever played Risk? No. It's very similar in length. Uh, it it's 500 turns, uh, so 500 turns actually turns out to be a lot. I can do it. I can play maybe a game in an eight-hour shift in in an eight-hour stretch. Okay. But I love that you're fascinated by it. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting because it's like this video game and like, um, you know, the metaverse like thing where it's like, oh, we're just going to make the same thing that we make in like the real physical world. Yeah, but yeah. like in the metaverse or in like this other platform, this electronic platform. And it's like, isn't that boring? Like, don't we want to use it to see what other possibilities exist? You know, like maybe use the metaverse as like a utopian workshop space yeah, you yeah. know like what happens when everyone gets ubi or like you know uh that's yeah. a good question yeah. yeah like but why are we just reproducing the same shit here and then digitally you know it just seems so fucking boring you know the <laughs> the 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 guys that are trying to make it's basically the new fountain of youth that they're doing with all of that so they're it's like people that don't want to die wanting to like make a met like a, a space that you can live on in forever oh my god have you seen this show upload no it's on hulu it's like a i don't know a comedy a dark comedy but it's kind of about that it's like in the future in the near future when you die you can get your uh conscious list uploaded to um you know various platforms and depending how much money you mm. have like you either have this like amazing country club experience the beautiful view and all this stuff or it's like oh i only have like a two megabyte like upload speed and so you're just like sitting in this like empty blank room yeah. like glitching out you know well the the what drives me crazy about the idea is like i would rather die and see what the mystery of life is than be trapped in capitalism for the rest oh of my God. eternity yeah it sounds <laughs> you know? so boring you, you think that you're going to upload your consciousness and you're not gonna have to work to pay for all this stuff right like servers aren't free it's no one is doing this out of the kindness of their heart like yeah. that there's so it's a subscription fee and if you don't pay your subscription then grandma's gone yeah yeah <laughs> totally <laughs> well you know it's then you're like yeah you obviously it's the rich people doing this for the rich people because they want to stay up on the top tier for like yeah they just want to live forever inf yeah yeah but but it is it's literally just uh like transhumanism is a, is an interesting thing but um but yeah, I think we got like four minutes before three o'clock. Are you ready to start wrapping up? Yeah, I think so. All right, cool. We did good. Well, uh, thank you so much for doing the show and having me on your show. Uh, it's been lovely. Uh, I always love these conversations that are about culture 
like those, I think one of my, two of my favorite things are to, talking to people about their culture and about how their religion traumatized them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very interrelated topics. <laughs> That's when I when I am like serving my own interests, you know, because like sometimes people want to talk about something that like I have to like stretch myself and be like. Oh, okay. Shoes or yoga. <laughs> shoes. And I, I think used, you have an entry point to shoes. You talking I about got, your Nikes? Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I messed up with that example. <laughs> but yeah, shoes are like uh, cars for people that can't afford cars. Mm. It's, oh, it's, well, next time we can talk about counterfeit luxury goods. Oh wow! Are you? Are you? Do you? Do you uh, consume? <laughs> I'm a recent. Uh, I'm an amateur so dabbler got, in the consumer. Louis Vuitton. Uh, actually, Bottega Veneta, and then I'm gonna get a Celine bag too. That's on its way to me. Wow! And like twelve dollars? <laughs> no, these are. You know what's fucked up? Like it's still, still expensive. expensive because the original <laughs> bag is like twenty five hundred dollars, and then these bags are like two hundred dollars. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, I'm like getting a ninety percent discount. But I'm still <laughs> fucking spending two hundred dollars on a single bag, which is like unnecessary to say the least what, what what is the appeal of the bag i think it's some kind of like class drag okay you know where it's like it's like a comfort blanket if i go into situations where I, i'm like with people like from that world i'm like oh i'm one of you but like not really oh, i like know? it so it's it's a trickster element to yeah it too. yeah it gives me it like keeps me true to my roots or something <laughs> of uh of, of being a uh um, remorseless capitalist. Yeah, but I feel like at least it's going directly to the factories that make it, not to the European luxury houses. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Well, can we promote anything for you? What's your Instagram? Sure, you can follow me on Instagram at Kim Yi, Kim Yi, Kim Yi. So it's just my name three times. Um, you can also check out my website at kimye.com, K I M Y E. Um, yeah, and then from there you can probably see what else I've been working on. I also edit for LadyScumbag.com, which is a art project turned kind of like a, a media platform that people can actually submit to if you're a writer or like a media maker. And edit like text, your articles or what? Or, yeah, or, okay. yeah, they're like writings, and then also there's like we have photography and like uh, visual art, poems, all kinds of things. Yeah, it was a, it was a project I started in 2018 that still like. That, exists as an archive and like a, a gradually very slowly evolving platform cool yeah we'll go check that out and uh we'll be back next week with another guest with another topic that may or may not be art related uh thank you for checking us out <laughs>